Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Yeah, I want to say a big good morning to you all. It's great to see you again. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Can we show our love and appreciation to all the moms with us this morning? We want to just express our appreciation and our gratitude to you today. And just say how much we love you and appreciate all that you are and all that you do and trust that today is truly a special day. And of course, if you've been around the the rocks long enough, you'll know that uh, on this particular occasion, we consider this an opportunity not only to celebrate the wonderful gift of motherhood, but to celebrate the broader, wider gift of womanhood. Of course, of which motherhood is just one potential possibility. So today, consider this to be a celebration of all things feminine. And therefore, to all you ladies, both in the room and online, young and old, we want to say that we love you and we appreciate you and we celebrate you today for all that you are and for all that you do. And we hope and pray that you sense God's pleasure and experience His delight today. Now, of course, at the same time, we do want to acknowledge that uh, as special and as happy as this day is for some, it can be a difficult day for others. And I know that on an occasion like this, if you have had a difficult experience of motherhood, if you've had a strained relationship with your mother, if you are a mother who has lost someone deeply that you love, um, if, if this day brings up thoughts and emotions for you that are painful, We want you to know that we are thinking of you today, and we have already been praying for you, and we are believing that today you are going to sense God's uh, comfort and His presence and His nearness, and that God is going to strengthen you and remind you that you are dearly loved by Him, and that He's with you in every moment and in every season of life. So we trust that that will be your experience today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, we uh, know that moms are some of the smartest people in the world, right? I heard recently about a mom whose six-year-old daughter came up to her one day and said, Mom, where did we as human beings come from? And the mom said, well, this is pretty easy. Back in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve formed the first family, had children, and that family grew pretty large, and then other families came out of that family, and then before you know it, every family in human history had descended from that first foundational family. And the little girl thought, well, that's pretty cool. And later that day, she was sharing with her dad what she had learned from her mom. And her dad said, oh, no, dear, that's not, that's not true. That's not what happened. He said, what actually happened was millions and millions and millions of years ago, there were lots of monkeys. And these monkeys began to evolve and develop and get really smart. And eventually, they evolved into human beings. And those human beings began to evolve and become really smart. And they evolved into the modern human beings that we know today. And so that's where you came from. So needless to say, the girl was somewhat confused and she went back to her mom and she said, Mom, how come you told me that we came from Adam and Eve when dad says we came from monkeys? And she said, well, that's simple, my dear. I was telling you about my side of the family. Your father was talking about his side of the family. (laughs) I uh, I heard about a a rather um, self-confident young teenage girl who went to her mom one day and said, uh, Mom, what's it like to be mother to the greatest daughter in the world? And her mom replied, I don't know, you'll have to ask your grandmother. (laughs) All right, moms are pretty smart, right? Not only do they have like eyes in the back of their heads and superhuman hearing, but they're incredibly clever too. Um, Now, just over a week ago, you know, the eyes of the world were kind of glued to their television screens as the United Kingdom witnessed the British people um, celebrating the coronation of their new king, King Charles III. I'm pretty sure many of you would have seen the coronation or at least the highlights and uh, it's a wonderful picture of them in their silly hats. Where is it coming up now? And, uh, and um, Charles is now officially the, 
the head of arguably the most famous royal family on earth. And for the entirety of his life, he's been in the public spotlight. He's certainly lived a life of privilege and of position and status and power, but also one of responsibility and duty and scrutiny. And no doubt that's going to continue. It just comes with the territory when you're part of the royal family. But I think it's safe to say that none of us here today are part of any royal families, at least not to my knowledge. I don't think we have anyone at the Rocks who is a descendant or current member of a royal family. I could be wrong. If you are, please make yourself known because Pastor D would love to meet you, and he has very special plans for you, right? But I'm pretty sure all of us just come from very natural, very ordinary families. But do you know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the family of God? When you come to faith in Jesus, you become part of His family. And the Bible says God becomes your father, Jesus becomes like your elder brother, and every other believer becomes a brother or a sister in Christ. At the end of the day, the church is really just one big, beautiful, brilliant, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multicolored, multi-generational family. And you get to be a part of it. And the wonderful thing about the family of God is everyone's invited. So you don't have to be born into it because you get to be born again into it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a part of it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then the invitation stands wide open for you to join. Right? There is place for you at God's table. There is room for you in the family of God. And God is calling all of humanity back into relationship with Him to enjoy being members of His family. So today I want to talk about four things that God wants every single one of us to know as members of His family. Now, all four of these things relate to every single one of us here. But today on this Mother's Day occasion, I want to speak especially to all the ladies in the room. So ladies, I want you to lean in and listen really closely because I believe today that God wants you to hear these four truths particularly and specifically because they have great implication for you and for all of us. So what exactly are they? What are these four things that God wants us to know as members of His family? Well, number one, the first is this, that you are royalty. Now, you may not see yourself as royalty, you may not feel like royalty, you may not think of yourself as royalty, but I guarantee you on the authority of God's Word, you are royalty. In fact, Peter, who was one of the first followers of Jesus and one of his closest friends, writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, and he says this, But God chose you to be His people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, and God's special treasure. You are all these things so that you can give praise to the God who brought you out of darkness into His wonderful light. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? You are royalty. As a follower of Jesus and a child of God, you are a member of heaven's household. And that makes you royalty. And Paul the Apostle, writing in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, echoes a similar sentiment when he says, And since we are God's children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. What a profound thought. You are co-heirs with Christ, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You get to share in His inheritance because you are a child of God and because God is your Father. So as members of God's family, we are His children and we are royalty. And the reason why God wants us to know that is because it informs our understanding of our identity. And ultimately, it's your identity that is going to shape everything else about you. The way you relate to the world around you. 
The way you behave, the way you see yourself, the way you see others, what you value, what you prioritize, all of those things are going to be informed by how you understand your identity. In fact, one of the most important things any human being can do is come to know and understand truly and accurately their identity. Now, most often when human beings try to understand their identity, they begin with the question, who am I? Who am I? In other words, we tend to think of our identity quite individualistically or in individualistic terms. But a better question to ask and the right place to start when you are considering your identity is not the question, who am I? But whose am I? To whom do I belong? And to what do I belong? That is the better and more biblical way to begin the exploration of your identity. And that question is answered somewhat beautifully by Jesus over in Luke chapter 20. When one day he was out with his disciples teaching and a group of Jewish religious leaders came up to him to ask him some questions. They wanted to try and you know, trick him and catch him out. And, and one of the Jewish religious leaders said to him, Jesus, should we be paying tax to Caesar? And Jesus said, well, whose image appears on the coins, on the money? Bring me a coin. Let's have a look. And so someone handed him a coin and he held up the coin and he said, whose image is this on the coin? And they said, well, that's Caesar's. And so he said, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. In other words, you know what belongs to Caesar by what bears Caesar's image. And you know what belongs to God by what bears God's image. So question, who has God imprinted his image upon? The answer is you and me. You and I bear the image of God and we are therefore God's. We belong to God because we were made in God's image and God's likeness. So whose am I? I am God's. I am his child and he is my father. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, at the beginning of the human story, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female. Right, ladies and gentlemen, you and I belong to God because we bear the image of God and we were made in his likeness. That means you are a child of God, you are part of his family, and you are royalty, right? That's number one. Now, the fact that you are royalty means that you have authority. And this is the second thing that I believe God wants each of us to understand about being a member of his family. You are royalty, number one, and that means you have authority. You will have noticed in the passage that we just read together, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, it says that God gave humankind authority. The power to rule, to reign, to govern, to have dominion over all the earth and all the living creatures. And ladies, did you notice that it says that you have authority over all the creeping, crawling creatures that scurry along the ground? Please take note of that. Right? I have a 14-year-old daughter who is petrified of spiders. She hates spiders. And every time a spider shows up in her bedroom, she calls me to come and remove the spider. And for the, the, the last like 14 years, I've been trying to convince her that she has authority over the spiders. She doesn't need to call me. She can deal with the spiders himself, right? 
But unfortunately, that revelation hasn't quite settled yet, right? But I want you to see, right? Next time a, a mouse scurries across the kitchen or a spider drops out of the ceiling or a snake, you know, slides out from under a bush, ladies, don't call us. Just take authority over it in Jesus' name and cast it out, right? <laughs> you have authority, all right? But seriously, it's, it's what we call in, in theological terms functional authority, right? Or, or cultural authority. And it's part of the cultural mandate given to humankind. But what I want you to notice is that authority is given to both men and women. And the reason I'm making a point about that is because sadly there are some church environments today where women are told that they cannot have authority, that they should not have authority, and therefore that they cannot lead, they cannot preach, they cannot teach, they cannot serve, they cannot minister, and they cannot hold positions of authority. Well, you only need to be around the rocks for about five minutes to realize we don't believe that. We don't subscribe to that way of thinking, right? We don't hold to that tradition, which is rooted in a very particular translation and interpretation of a few statements made by Paul in the first century in a very patriarchal cultural context for cultural reasons and cultural purposes. But we don't certainly hold that to be true. We believe that women can lead, they can preach, they can teach, they can minister, they can serve, and they can have authority. Why? Because clearly God is comfortable with delegating his authority to women. Jesus himself affirms this over in Luke chapter 10 when he gives his commissioning mandate to the disciples. In Luke chapter 10 verse 19, Jesus sends his disciples out ahead of him to represent him in the world. And he says to them in Luke chapter 10 verse 19, I have given you authority. And no doubt among that band of disciples would have been women. In fact, Luke's very careful to point out that there were women who were named by name, Mary, Martha, Joanna, and others. And some of those women, Luke says, were actually financial contributors or supporters of Jesus' ministry. So clearly they were industrious, they had businesses, they were, were successful, and they took that success to support and serve Jesus in his itinerant ministry. So Jesus says to this band of followers that he has sent out to represent him in the world, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Now, just clarification, when Jesus says you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, he's not talking literally. He's using that imagery metaphorically to talk about unclean spirits and demonic entities. And he elaborates on that and clarifies that in the next statement when he says nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are recorded in heaven. Right? Don't go out there and step on a dugite and say, well, Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, I can walk on snakes and I'll be okay. You'll be in trouble. All right? He's talking about spiritual authority over spiritual powers. So very clearly, Jesus says here, you have authority. And the point is simply this, friends. If God is willing to delegate his cultural authority to woman, and Jesus is willing to delegate his spiritual authority to woman, then women already have authority. Not the kind of authority that gets conferred by any man or by any institution, but the kind of authority that comes from God himself. You have authority. And the best way to think about authority is as power in the form of permission. That is what authority is. Authority is power in the form of permission. So in other words, if you have authority, you have God-given permission to speak, to act, to serve, to lead, to give, to minister on behalf of God. 
And God wants each and every one of us, male and female, to stand in the authority that He has given us. The positional authority, the cultural authority, and the spiritual authority. And to speak, serve, act, minister, and lead on behalf of God and His kingdom. Now, it is imperative that we recognize that that authority is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And that end is the edification and the upliftment and the betterment of others. So Paul the Apostle, who is perhaps one of the most authoritative figures in all of the New Testament, and a man who understood spiritual authority better than anyone else, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, he says, I am writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not to tear you down. A little early on in the same chapter, 2 Corinthians, sorry, in the same book in an earlier chapter, in chapter 10, verse 8, he says something in a similar vein. He says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. In other words, Paul is saying any authority that is given to us by God is not so that we can have a platform or a position or have power or have the ability to control and command or to uh, manipulate or to exploit or to control anybody. He says, no, the authority God has given you is empowerment to serve. It's to build others up. You are empowered by God and authorized by God to preach and teach and lead so that others can be blessed and others can be strengthened and others can be equipped and others can be empowered. So learn to stand in your authority. I love that statement from Paul at the end of 2 Corinthians 10, 8, when he says, I will not be ashamed of using my authority and neither should you. You should be comfortable and confident in the authority God has given you so that you can use it as his permission to serve, lead, minister and empower others, right? So you have authority. You are royalty, you have authority, and thirdly, because you have authority, you have agency. You have agency, and this is the third thing I think God wants us to know as members of His family. You have agency, and by that I mean you have like the wherewithal, the means, the ability, the capacity, as well as the opportunity to serve and influence others for good and for God. You see, if authority is power in the form of permission, then agency is power in the form of ability or capacity, married together with opportunity. Uh, today, of course, is, is Mother's Day. And uh, this year, we have the fortunate privilege of having my mom with us for Mother's Day. She's visiting from South Africa. And for the first time in over a decade, we're literally getting to celebrate Mother's Day in the same space, which is wonderful. And I've been thinking about her, particularly as I was preparing this message to share with you today, because my mom has gone through a very significant life change. Uh, many of you will be aware that about three years ago, my dad passed away after a very brief kind of battle with cancer. And that thrust my mother into a whole new season of life. And she has had to, over the last three years, learn to navigate life as a single woman. And ordinarily, there were all sorts of things that my dad would do for her that she's now learning to do for herself. Everything from international travel to migrating to online banking. And what has been so amazing is to watch her grow like in her ability and her capacity and her confidence as she discovers new dimensions and aspects of her agency. And she's surprising herself with what she's actually capable of doing. 
And so she's growing, and, and we're so proud of her for doing so. But that's the point, right? You have agency. You have capacity. You have choice. You have opportunity. You have skill. You have wisdom. You have all these things that God has invested in you, and he wants you to use them. He wants you to leverage your agency to make this world a better place in Jesus' name. Uh, my daughter, who I mentioned earlier, I noticed when she was growing up, when she was a bit younger, that she developed the habit of like defaulting to me every time she had a, a difficult challenge that she couldn't resolve. And it became all too easy. So she would come to me, you know, she'd go to the kitchen, open the fridge, take out a jar, and she couldn't get it open. So she'd say, Dad, can you open the jar? And ordinarily, I'd be happy to open for her, but I realized this was becoming a habit. So I said to her, have you tried to open the jar? Have you tried properly? Have you tried again? And instead of just jumping in and doing it for her, I would say, no, you do it. Try again. Give it another go. And you know what happened? Eventually, she would go, and the jar would pop open, and she'd be like, oh, I can do it. I'm like, yes, you can do it, right? You can open the jar yourself. And the reason why I was challenging my daughter to do that is because I don't want my daughter to grow up thinking that every significant challenge that comes her way, she needs to default to some man in her life to solve it, right? I want her to know she has agency. She has capacity. She has skill. She has ability. And she can leverage that. She can function independently and interdependently. And I want to grow, her to grow up owning her agency. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter kind of gives... Um, gives kind of an allusion to this when he says, um, God has given each of you a gift. I took a moment to dive into the original Greek just to explore this verse in more detail. And that little phrase, each of you, literally means each of you, like every single one of you, right? Not just the male use, but the female use. Every single individual, every man, every woman, has been given a gift by God from the variety of his great spiritual gifts. So Peter says, use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Right, You have agency. In other words, you are graced by God. You are gifted by God. You are empowered by God. You are enabled by God. You have talent. You have skill. You have life experience. You have wisdom. You have discernment. You have insight. You have foresight. You have capacity. And God wants you to use it confidently to serve others and to honor Him. Use your voice. Use your presence. Use your strength. Use your power. Use your wisdom. Whatever God has invested to, into you, whatever you have at your disposal, use it to bless others and to serve God. You have agency. And then fourthly and finally, the last thing that I reckon God wants all of us to understand as members of his family is that you have dignity. You have dignity. And I love the way dignity gets defined in, in the dictionary. This is such a helpful articulation. Dignity, if you were to define it, is simply the state or quality of being worthy. Worthy of honor and respect. Or a calm, composed, and serious disposition. To be dignified is to be recognized of the honor and respect that you are deserving of. You are worthy of it. 
And as a child of God and a member of God's family, you have dignity. In other words, you're worthy of this honor and this respect. Uh, the apostle Peter, again, speaks about the need to recognize this dignity in the context of family life, right? So in, in our domestic situations. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Listen to what Peter says. He says, the same goes for you wives. You ought to be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, quiet, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God in that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham would address him as my dear husband. And you'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same. Not anxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them and delight in them. As women, they lack some of your physical advantages, but in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. So treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Notice here that Peter puts a call out to husbands and wives to treat each other with dignity with mutual respect and honor. And husbands, men in the room, let me just speak to you briefly and directly for a moment. Notice that Peter says here that no man has the right to use his physical advantage in any way to deprive a woman of her dignity or to rob her of the honor and respect that is duly hers. No man can and should neglect, abuse, abandon, or despise the significant woman that God has brought into his life. In fact, Peter says, if you do so, you will lose God's attention. God will not give ear to your voice. God will not hear your prayers. If you abuse, neglect, despise, or abandon the woman that God has entrusted to your care, God will not answer your prayer until you repent and you change. Now listen, men, if you are the kind of guy who struggles with anger and you struggle with self-control and you struggle because of whatever life experiences you have had or whatever temperament you have had, you need to know that there is help for you. There is grace for you. God loves you. But those cannot become excuses for the way you treat the significant woman in your life. The woman that God has entrusted to you need to be treated with dignity and respect in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? amen? And in doing so, you confer honor and dignity and respect. And not only should that happen in the home, but that should happen in the church as well. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, Paul the Apostle again speaking, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant in the church in Cancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Notice Paul says here that there are women in the context of our shared life together as a faith community who ought to be honored and respected for the way they serve and for the way they love and the way they lead. And friends, that is true of our spiritual family right here. For all of you who call the rocks home, you need to know that there are women amongst us who lead us, who serve us, who give of their time and energy 
to make sure that we as a faith community are fruitful and flourishing and vibrant and healthy. Those women make enormous sacrifices. They give so much of themselves and they are worthy of our appreciation and they're worthy of our celebration and they are certainly worthy of honor and respect. And today I believe that God wants you to know you have dignity. And I believe that for some ladies in the room today, it might be necessary for you to hear that because perhaps in the context of your home environment, maybe growing up as a child or maybe even right now, or possibly in the context of some experience of church life that you've had, you may have felt some significant people in your life undermining your dignity, robbing you of the respect and of the honor that you deserve. And you need to know today that your heavenly father is not okay with that, that he loves you and he considers you to be worthy, worthy of dignity, worthy of honor, worthy of respect because you are royalty, because you already have authority, because you have God-given agency, and because as a child of God and an image bearer of God, you have dignity in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.